Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Why don't you uh, grab a Bible and open to Job chapter 6. Open to Job chapter 6. Right before the book of Psalms, the Old Testament. So we have a, you know, as we go through this study, because I only teach once a month or so, and I think it's actually may have been two months since my last teaching. It's like a cliffhanger every time we end, just waiting to see what happens next in this. And now we're into these these back and forth conversations that Job is having, uh, sometimes with his, some of his friends, and sometimes we see him having some conversations with God. And those that that we're going to start to see. Um, Next time we get together, so that's a little preview of, uh, of our next time in this book. But to go back a little bit, just to recap and bring us up to where we are tonight. So remember that in chapters 1 and 2, we saw uh, the recording of Job's calamity, his family, his health, um, his livelihood, everything was taken from him. And um, we saw how Job responded to that, especially in chapter 1, where he doesn't blame God. And although it was very difficult, obviously, this trial that he's going through, um, he found no fault in God for that. And that's, a, that's something that I think we, I want to carry through the entire book because Job is not always so consistent in that in that sense, that he doesn't blame God. So remember his first inclination when the tragedy struck. And then we start to see in uh, chapter 2, we see Job's friends come on the scene. And we start to, um, we start to see that they want to minister to him. You know, they've heard of this calamity and they want to come around him. And it's just like we would do if a good friend or a family member was going through a really difficult time. We would want to come around them and we would want the same for ourselves. We want people to support us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to cry with us, um, and to be there for us. And we saw that they give, gave some really solid counsel to Job when they sat silent for seven days. And I say that kind of uh, in jest, but honestly, um, sometimes that's the best thing you can do for someone. And that's, that's the thing that you need sometimes better than anything else, is just someone to be there. And so they did that, and they were faithful to come when, he, when, when it became known to them that this tragedy had happened. But then we start to see them speak. And their, their conversations with Job are kind of mixed. Sometimes they sound encouraging, and sometimes they sound just like a rebuke. And so we see this back and forth, and then we see sometimes Job's reaction to that. 
Job's despair in chapter 3. And that, you know, his sorrow just was overwhelming him. And we see that. Sometimes we, I think, I think in these chapters we start to see that kind of that process, that grieving process of Job. First, he was very strong. He didn't blame God and he was, he, he, he was, uh, he, he seemed like he was in a really good place. And then we see a lot of despair start to come in. And, uh, and so that's kind of that process that we go through. Um, in chapter five, Eliphaz, one of his friends, finally speaks. And Eliphaz, basically, for the most part, he rebuked Job. He told him he was a sinner. He told him that this must have happened because of some great sin that he committed, because God would not cause this pain and this suffering if you didn't do something to cause it, Job. He rebukes Job, and sometimes he uses some theology to do that, but it's mostly misapplied to Job's situation. And so most of the time, his, his counsel is really not helpful to Job. As a matter of fact, I think it made matters worse. So we see in the last verse, if you just want to go back to the last verse of chapter 5, it says, Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. So Eliphaz is saying here, Job, we've done all the research We've, we've looked at the situation and we've come to these conclusions and that is that you must have sinned and that God is punishing you for some sin in your life. But what Eliphaz didn't realize and what many of us still don't realize even today is that God can't be figured out. That you can't say because this happened, this is going to be the result of it. You know, Job's troubles may look one way to the natural man, but God may have a hidden plan that Eliphaz was unaware of when he was telling Job that, you know, we've figured this out. This is the conclusion of it, of it all. I, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see here that we cannot put God in a box. We cannot ever figure him out 100%. So when we're going through a difficult time, we may not know what God has in store. We just have to trust that there's a purpose there for it. I think the real lesson of of really much of this book is that is those verses in Isaiah that God's ways are not our ways. We can't fully fully comprehend all that God is doing. And so we need to trust him especially in those things that we don't know. So we're going to jump into chapter 6 and we're going to see kind of Job's response to Eliphaz, um his poor counsel uh, the counsel that really actually made matters worse for Job instead of better. So in verses 1 through 3 in chapter 6, it says, Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. 
So you hear Job saying here again, he's expressing the level of grief that he has for what he's going through. And it could have been also made worse because of Eliphaz's poor counsel. But he's appealing to his friends who came around him at this time. He's appealing to them for compassion and for empathy. And although Job has only heard so far from Eliphaz, it seems like the other two friends were on board with Eliphaz's conclusion of why Job is undergoing these trials. Job is telling them that if they really if they really wanted to empathize with him, really feel what he's going through, then then that might give him some relief. If they were to really have a sense of empathy for Job, then it might give him some relief from his suffering. But they weren't really doing that. And he was also saying that he may have spoken. Remember, some of his words in the previous chapters were pretty harsh. Some of his words were, were, um, were out of just distress and depression. And so you heard some of the words that Job said, and he's saying here that he was speaking out of pain. He was speaking out of sorrow. And his words were probably not edifying, but, but he had a good reason because of what he was going through. I think this kind of teaches us, if we want to make application for our lives and our relationships with others, it teaches us to be patient with one another. You know, maybe someone will say something that sounds thoughtless or, or impolite, but do we take the time to find out what kind of day they're having? Maybe they're really going through a difficult time. And Job was just looking here. He was just looking for a little grace from his friends, a little compassion from his friends. And we would probably do well in our relationships if we do, did the same thing. And who knows, maybe Job's friends would have acted the same way if they were carrying this burden of sorrow and pain that Job was carrying. You know, we show others that we care for them when we try to sort of step into their shoes, understand what they're going through. And I think it also helps if we're able to express to them more of an eternal outlook on life. Because the Apostle Paul tells us that also in the New Testament, that that perspective will help us get through the difficult times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul speaks about, about this eternal viewpoint, this eternal outlook on life. He says in verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and if you think back on all of the difficulties that Paul himself went through, being shipwrecked, being beaten, um, being stoned, being in a prison, all of the difficult things that he had gone through, he considers light affliction, momentary light affliction. He says, 
For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know, Job says here, if they could weigh my grief on scales, if they could weigh weigh my calamity, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. And yet Paul here says there's something greater than that. There's an eternal weight of glory waiting for each and every believer if we just had that eternal perspective. And he goes on in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We look around us, we look around at our circumstances, right? When we're in a difficult time and we can see those things and they are painful at times and we don't quite understand sometimes what we're going through. But those are the things that we see with our eyes. Those are the things that we can comprehend with our minds. When we instead look at the things which are not seen, which are things of God, which are godly things, which are those, those things that are waiting for us in eternity. We can't see those things. We can't fully comprehend those things. But those are the things which will keep us on the straight path. Those are the things that will help us through those times when we are just looking at those things around us and in our lives, our circumstances. So... I'm I'm thinking here if Job or his friends even had that perspective, they may have seen that God had something far better awaiting Job. And Eliphaz even touched on that in chapter 5 when he mentioned that Job may very well have a large family and live a long life at some point. And remember, we, we discussed whether that was just another another poke at Job, or if that was really a source of encouragement for Job. But, but God can turn all these things around. So whatever we're going through at any, at any given time in our life, just know that God can turn those things around. It's useful for us, for encouragement, as we endure the trials that we're going to face in this life. Moving on to verses 4 through 7 in Job 6. It says, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass? Does the ox low over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. So we see here, Job is still processing through this grief, not quite understanding what it's all about. And he tells Aliphaz, you know, you may say that God's rebuking me. I feel it. I can sense it. It feels like God is taking aim at me. And a few times throughout Job's, of the, this book of Job, he'll mention arrows coming at him from God. And that, I think that's a good way to, to describe what Job was going through and 
Also, when afflictions come our way, you know, a lot of times they come swiftly. A lot of times trials will come without warning, right? And a lot of times, most times, they'll inflict deep, very deep pain. You know, he mentions these arrows and, you know, the poison that's on the tip of those arrowheads. And, you know, throughout uh, history, they would use that to uh, inflict even more uh, a death toll on the enemies. And Job actually feels like there's something going on when, when these arrows are being shot at him. He feels like he's suffering more. And this is really a perfect description of his situation. He felt like God, was, God himself was just taking aim at him. He was like, he was the target of this, of this God who had no purpose and had no meaning for what he was doing. Job knew, Job knew that he was innocent, yet he was still being attacked by God, he felt. And, you know, this brought confusion into his life. And this brought bitterness into his life. And that's something that we all need to be very, very careful of. That we don't allow our afflictions and don't allow our pain and our suffering to bring bitterness into our life. Because we know that we can use those things to grow in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others. Sometimes we find that we can handle the attacks of other people, but if we feel like God himself is attacking us, maybe that might be much harder to accept. And so Job is here looking for consolation from his friends, but he doesn't really get any. Instead of trying to encourage him, they blame him and they accuse him. And they were, I think they were starting to actually convince Job himself that he brought this calamity upon himself because of some sin. I think, I think for us, and this is, this is all about relationships. This is all about how we relate to one another. And I think for us, we need to be careful that we're not communicating maybe our own opinions to others especially when they come to us for help. Now, if there's something actually going on there that we know about, we can address those things, but we need to be very careful that we're not making unfounded accusations because that's only going to make matters worse when they really need compassion and understanding. And sometimes they just need an ear to hear. So we want to be that for people. And we don't want to get bitter. We don't want to get bitter against others. And we certainly don't want to get bitter against God. And Job here is also kind of justifying the actions of his heartache. He's saying, just as the donkey or the, or the ox don't eat if they're already full, Job wasn't complaining for no reason. He had a reason. And think back, and I think as we move further away from chapters 1 and 2, when we got a really good description of what Job went through, as we move further away from that, we need to be careful we don't forget what he's gone through. That we don't forget that he's got some real legitimate pain here. And maybe some real legitimate reasons for complaining. 
So let's never forget that. And, and I think, you know, we say to people, you know, that time will heal all wounds. And, and may, maybe that's true. But everyone grieves and everyone processes through that in a different way and in a different time. So you may think that, well, they should be over that by now, but maybe they're not. We need to give people time. We need to show them compassion and sympathy in those things and encourage them. He says here, he says here in, um, in verse 6, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Is there any taste in the white of an egg? And he's saying here the words of Eliphaz are coming at him like uh, just unpleasant food. It's not helping. It's not relieving him. It's not, a, it's not refreshing to Job. It's flavorless. It's not doing the job that it should when you speak to someone going through a difficult time, it should bring refreshment to them and encouragement to them. It says in Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Now that sounds nice. That sounds refreshing. That sounds encouraging and comforting. And we want to be able to bring that to others. We, we need that ourselves. A lot when we're going through difficult times. In verses uh, 6 through 10, uh, I mean 8 through 10, excuse me, it says here, Oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that, I, that it would please God to crush me, that he would loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have comfort Though in anguish I would exalt, he will not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. We're, I think we're moving here into a more intense grief that Job is going through. And in chapter 3, we kind of got a taste of that also when he, he, he lamented over the very day he was conceived and over the very day that he was born. And here he's outwardly pleading with God to put him out of his misery. Now, it, I want to make sure that we understand here, it doesn't seem as though Job is advocating for suicide or even insinuating or condoning suicide to solve your problems. But he's vocalizing his grief here. He's vocalizing his, his suffering. He's putting it into words, what he's feeling in his heart. And he's really saying for God, just end my suffering, God. Whatever way you need to, just end this suffering that I'm going through. So um, I, did a, I did a lot of uh, research on these verses. I wanted to make sure that, that we weren't um, you know, that Job wasn't advocating for that. I found a commentator here, here who says, and this I think is, is great because it gives, us, it gives us perspective beyond our grief. It gives, us, it gives us something to look for beyond our suffering. One commentator says of these verses, when the answer does not come, and Job's still waiting for this answer, 
when the answer does not come, when instead of the release of cutting off, which is what Job prayed for, we have the continuity of pain and a great silence when we think God's not there, when we think he's silent about our, our troubles, let us remember this story. And I think what he, the commentator is saying here, let us remember how this ends. And remain confident, he writes, that there is some explanation. God has a purpose. God has a plan. Even if we don't see it when we're going through the difficulty. He says, and remain confident then that there is some explanation. And when that comes... We shall thank God that he did not give us our request. Thank God he did not give us our request. Remember, Job's request here was, put me out of my misery, God, and my suffering. And I'm not, I'm not giving you the end of the story. I already, I already gave it to you before. Remember, he gets, he, he gets whole again. Job. God gives him back and more. So if God gave him this request, he would not have seen that. Okay? Just a little perspective there on these verses that I think, especially in, in our culture, in our society, where suicide is such a, a, a rampant thing. I think we need to make sure that we understand that God has a purpose even in our suffering. And then he might have an awesome plan that we would miss out on if we weren't around for it. So we do know the end of the story, right? We have the scriptures here to instruct us and to help us in our time of need. We do know so we can be confident that God will work it all out. But when we're in the midst of it, we don't see it, right? It's hard to see. And it's not until sometimes we come out on the other side that we have this understanding, of greater understanding of what God's doing in our life. And we're going to suffer in this world. Because it's a fallen world. It's a world full of sin. It's not a world that God intended in Philippians 1.29, it tells us, for, you, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. See, we believe in Christ and what he did on the cross. And when we do that, we identify with him. And we don't, also, we don't only identify with his glory, we identify with his suffering, the Bible says. And you know you can feel that sometimes in your life. In verses 11 through 13, we move on here. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me? And is success driven from me? So again, Job here is just expressing to his... This is a, remember, this is a conversation. He has a group of friends around him. He's responding to Eliphaz's counsel, good or bad, whatever it was. And he's 
trying to get them to understand the hopelessness he feels in this situation. He says that since he can't control the circumstances that come come into his life, how can he possibly plan for the future? How can he know? And this is kind of what we would call a very fatalistic approach to life. But fatalism is not consistent with the teachings of the Bible. Yes, God is sovereign, but we also have free will. There are many things that we can do in our life that affect the events and the circumstances in our life. And let's never forget that. See, God had a plan for Job's life, just as he, just as he does for each and every one of us. He has a plan for us. Beyond the sufferings, beyond the difficulties, and by our choices or by our attitudes, we could make decisions that would actually change the trajectory of our life. And we know that. We know that when we make poor decisions, poor choices, that we'll have, sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of those things. But we know that when we make godly choices, when we, make, when we seek the Lord for direction and for guidance in our life, and we do things according to His will, we know that, that we'll be in His will. And we know that he has a plan. We'll be, we'll be doing things according to his plan for us. And that's where we want to be. We always want to be in the center of God's will. And we have the ability to make decisions and choices in our life that might affect those things. God has predestined, by his foreknowledge, our past, present, and future. But that does not remove our ability or our responsibility, responsibility to make choices, good choices that have, could affect us for the positive going forward in our lives. Verses 12 and 13, he says, Is my strength the strength of stones, or my flesh bronze? Is my help not within me, and is success driven from me? Job is just saying here, at this point in my, in my grieving process, I'm tired. I'm sapped of all my strength. I have nothing left here. And I just feel like I can't go on. And if his friends really wanted to soothe his pain, one of them might have told him, Job, God is in charge. He's still in charge. He's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. And God has a great plan for your life, Job. Just wait it out. And sometimes we just need people to tell us, just wait it out. God has a plan. Stay in his will. I believe that if people understood how much God really loves them, even when it doesn't look that way, even when things look bleak, I, th- I really believe that if, God, if people understood how much God loves them, there wouldn't be such a serious depression problem in our culture because they would know that there's a purpose for their life i think a lot of depression comes from a lack of purpose a lack of significance in our lives and god wants to give us a significant life jesus said i've come to give you life and that more abundantly right an abundant life he promises to us 
Now going forward, the next several verses here, we hear Job now turning from, kind of turning from himself and turning toward Eliphaz in, uh, in some criticism toward Eliphaz's poor counsel and a little defense of himself. So it says in verses 14 through 23, To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice, and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of the way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Tima look. The travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They came there and are confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did I ever say, bring something to me? Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the enemy's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the oppressors? So it sounds here now Job is gaining some strength. And again, we, you know, we see this in, in several pages, but we don't know how long this whole process took. It could have been over the course of days. And it seems as though now he's finding some courage to tell his friends how really how ineffective their counsel was to him. He tells Eliphaz, even if I did forsake the Lord, even if I did, a little compassion might have been in order. And remember, this is just not someone who's, who needed a reprimand because of some sin in their life. Job had real tragedy occur. And even if there was sin, even if he did forsake the Lord, there would, be a, there, there would be a time and a place to maybe take him aside and, and maybe give him some, uh, some soft rebuke and try to, try to turn him in the right direction. But I, I don't think this was the time for that. They needed to, he needed to hear sort of words of consolation first. And... Instead of refreshing Job with their words of encouragement, they offered him words of emptiness, he says. Their counsel was as ineffective as a dried-up brook when a traveler is thirsty. Verse 21 tells us here really what he thought of their counsel. For you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. It It was, he was telling them their counsel was was more hurtful than it was helpful. And, they, and you saw my calamity and you were afraid. Now, when someone's going through deep grief and a tragedy in their life, sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes our counsel would, would make matters worse, right? Because... because it's sometimes when someone's going through something really difficult, it's almost fearful to us to look at and to see what they're going through. We don't quite understand ourselves. And so I think this is a good lesson for us 
that as we see people in our lives, loved ones or or brothers and sisters in the church that are going through difficult times, that that we need to understand that that maybe we don't have the right words to say. But maybe we can just be there as a source of support. It could be scary when someone comes to you with a, a, a tragedy that happened in their life. Could be really, it could be scary if they come to you looking for solid counsel and wisdom. You don't want to make matters worse. And, and you don't know sometimes what to say. So he's telling them here, it, you know, you were afraid. You were afraid to really give me what I needed. But I can understand that. I can understand that even from his friend's side, how that might look. We don't know sometimes what to say. We don't want to make matters worse. So we're going to move on and finish up this chapter In these next verses, it says in verse 24 through 30, Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless, and you undermine your friend. Now, therefore, be pleased to look at me. For I would never lie to your face. Yield now. Let there be no injustice. Yes, concede. My righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot by my taste discern the unsavory. So a little bit of defense here. Job uh, is giving on his own behalf. And... He makes two requests of his friends. The first one in verse 24 says, teach me, teach me. What what he's saying here is basically, give me some evidence that what you're accusing me of is valid. I think he was seriously asking them. I don't see it. I, I know how God sees me, Job is saying. I know God sees me as righteous because because of my faith. And as a Christian, we know that God sees us as righteous, not because of our own righteousness, but because Jesus Christ, who was perfect, has imputed his righteousness to us because we've received him and accepted him into our life. And Job is saying here, give me some evidence Teach me. Tell me. Tell me what I've done wrong. And I think even for us, wouldn't we want to know if we messed up? Wouldn't we want to know if, if we had something going on in our life? Maybe we had a blind spot for some sin. Wouldn't, wouldn't we want to know? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a really good friend to tell us, to give us the evidence of that and to try to turn us in the right direction? So instead, all of their allegations were unfounded. All of their allegations were based on their own opinion or their own experience. And really, that, that, that doesn't hold any water. Job is asking Eliphaz if his words of, if Job's grief, if his words that he spoke 
in sorrow, were empty, were vain, were for, were for nothing. He calls them as the wind. It's a phrase that Solomon even speaks about a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's futile. It's empty. And, you know, maybe Job was saying things that sounded over the top, you know, in his grief and in his sorrow. Maybe they seemed, maybe it seemed like Job was hysterical because of this, this tragedy. He wasn't making any sense. But I think for us, we need to give people the opportunity to express themselves in that way. Whatever, that, whatever it looks like, whatever it may sound like, be a person that would be a sounding board for someone who's going through a difficult time. And maybe their, maybe their words are over the top, but they're, they're speaking their heart. And then the second request that Job makes is for Eliphaz to look at him. He says in, um, in verse 27 and 28, Now therefore be pleased to look at me. How, how many times do you have conversations with someone where, uh, you, where they don't look you in the face? They don't look you in the eyes. And maybe they're bringing something to you that is difficult, but they can't look straight at you. Job is saying, I want to face my accusers. I want to look them in the eyes. I want them to look at me and tell me what, I, what I've done. And it seems as though they never did that. They never had that, that eye contact with Job that he would be able to receive uh, what they were saying. He gained the courage here now to face his accusers, but they seemed unable to do the same. They seemed unable to do the same or unwilling to do the same. And we see Job here closing up this chapter, kind of pleading his innocence. And he knows his own heart. He knows what God thinks of him. And the accusations of those so-called friends couldn't change the truth. And I think about David in the Psalms and how, how often he looks for he looks for vindication. You know, his, he, he has enemies chasing him. He has friends accusing him. And he's looking for vindication. But I, I love what David did. He, he didn't seek vindication from others. He sought it from the Lord. And really, isn't that what we want to do? As we close up, think of these verses in Psalm 26 as David just expresses himself here. A psalm of David, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Now we know that this was not prideful of David. He was called a friend of God. A man after God's own heart. And David had his faults, definitely. But he knew where his heart was. He knew that his heart was for God. And he asked the Lord, vindicate, test me. Test me and see. You know, as human beings, we'll never be perfect, right? We know that. 
But as believers, we should be able to ask God to test us, to try us, to see where our heart's at. And others, others may accuse us. People will come against us, definitely. But God is the ultimate judge of our heart. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Let it